If you turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as we begin chapter 6, I want to reiterate and bring to your attention that here, especially in this first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, there are a number of hard topics that are addressed. There are a number of difficult things that are said. And as I've shared with you before, doesn't mean that every one of you has problems in any one of these areas. Doesn't mean that, you know, God is trying to point out your specific sin and weakness. Uh, I do not have cameras installed in your homes. Uh, no one has come to me with specific information about you. And so if you hear something, chances are the Lord is specifically speaking to you on an issue. It is good for us to know the difficult things. And the reason it's good for us is, if nothing else, you're going to be raising children. You're going to live these things in your own family. You're going to have opportunity uh, in your extended family, in your community, in our state, in our world, to live godly in Christ Jesus before people. And so we're going to be looking, actually next week and the week after it, at a a very specific study that I've entitled uh, Who's In, Who's Out? And people often look at what's coming next after we finish these first seven verses and they're like, man, does that mean that guy's not saved? Well, maybe. Scripture says some tough things and we shouldn't avoid them just because we don't like what they say. And this morning, because we live in a world that frankly is ridiculously litigious, and that does not escape the church, I find it very interesting The Apostle Paul now talks about Christians in court. And before we get started this morning, I want to preface this. This passage is often used as a proof text that Christians should never, ever engage in a lawsuit. It does not teach that. What is in view here is extremely specific. And what's extremely specific about it is one very specific type of lawsuit. And that type of lawsuit is one that revolves around property. And it is, again, I remind you, specifically talking about believers suing believers. And here's why this subject is given to us in this way. Because it is true in our day and time. It was true then that God gets the blame for when knuckleheaded Christians do dumb stuff, especially when it ends up on the front page of the newspaper, especially when it affects your neighborhood, especially when it tears your family apart, especially when we are being grilled, if you will, before the world, the world looks at it and goes, man, that's why I don't want to be a Christian. See, those guys don't treat each other, and they treat each other worse than the people in the world do. And so Paul now speaks about legal issues that involve property. He uses a very specific word that's used there. It's actually two Greek words. It's pragma ashan. Pragma ashan specifically is talking about those things which we would call pragmatic. They are, it is a Greek word from which we get our English word pragmatism. There are things that are very clearly defined. They're not iffy things. There are things that have a value. There are things that you could look at. For instance, 
you guys go out in the parking lot, and there are two of you backing out simultaneously, and you smash into each other, you should not be going, ha, I never have to work again. <laughs> it's an act, oh, I feel my neck. Oh. You see, when we do that as the body of Christ, the world looks at that and goes, look, bunch of hypocrites. There's no forgiveness. There's no restoration. There's no reconciliation. They're doing the same thing that we do. And so Paul begins to unfold this truth before us. At that day and time, the Romans had a tremendous tolerance for the systems of religion and of other governments. And if you remember, and I can prove this to you, do you remember what happened at the trial of Jesus? Do you remember what Pilate said? I find no fault in this man. What did he do? He turned Jesus back over to Caiaphas. He said, you got a fault with them, you deal with them. The Romans were very wide open in their allowance of other rules, regulations, and law. We live in a world that's perhaps more liberal than that. In a world in which people can get embroiled in doing things exactly the same way the world does. And I pray this morning that as we look at this passage of Scripture, the first seven verses here in chapter 6, that we will use the courts very sparingly. That we will never use the courts as a first choice. That we will always consider the grace of God in our dealings with each other and with everybody else on this planet. Because that's what we're here to show the world. We're here to show the world Christ Jesus and him alone crucified for the remission of sin. We're here to live gospel lives. We're not here to do things the way the world does it, to get rich off of other people's mistakes. And we need to make sure that we live our lives in a manner that's different than the world. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we come and, again, a, a difficult subject matter is, is before us. And we pray, Lord, I pray, maybe there's somebody here this morning who's contemplating suing a brother, suing a sister. Lord, they, they just feel like that's the right thing to do. Lord, I pray that you'd back them away from that cliff. Pray that they'd hear what the Spirit has to say this morning through your word. Pray that you would give us the right view of our system of laws and justice. Pray that you'd help us to use those systems sparingly and only when necessary. Pray that you would watch over us and guard our hearts and minds. Lord, help us to receive the truth. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Notice verse 1. Dare any one of you, is the way the New Living Translation states it, dare any one of you, having a case against another, take it for judgment before ungodly and not before the saints? Why do you suppose it begins that way? Let me help you understand it. Because ultimately, from God's perspective, because you as the children of God, me as a child of God, us as God's family, God's children, Scripture declares to us throughout the New Testament that one day you're actually going to rule and reign with Christ. That you have the Spirit of the living God dwelling in you. 
that you literally have God's revealed will in his word sitting in your laps. And you have wisdom that the world has no way of tapping into. You are more than capable of judging things for yourselves as the body of Christ. You don't need to take everything to an attorney. You don't need to do it the world's way. You you don't have to have the world's methodology as your only way of doing things. And you shouldn't be in that class of people who looks at everything that happens as an opportunity to jump into the legal system. The state of California has more attorneys per capita than any place on earth. We have one attorney for roughly every 1,500 citizens in California. That's from the American Bar Association. That's their numbers. That's a lot of attorneys. That's a lot of lawsuits. And I can tell you this, many of them are between believers. And what happens is, the moment those things become public knowledge, God's name goes in the proverbial trash can. You see, because very often it's, oh yeah, this guy did this or did that. Let me give you a prime example from my own life. As most of you know, I am a camp director by day. It's my secret profession. And as a camp director, I have pretty much one specific thing that I do. I keep children from killing themselves. (laughs) Or others in the process of killing themselves. I mitigate liability. That's what I I get paid to watch over minutia and paper. And and my task and my goal is, is when your kids come to camp, that you actually get them back. (laughs) It's always a good thing when everyone goes home. Now, I can tell you as a camp director, one of the things I am looking forward to one day retiring from is exactly that. It is an extremely stressful environment. Because every moment that we have kids at the camp, Pastor Jeff can get the call, so-and-so died. I do not want to ever have to make that phone call to a parent. And so we're very cautious about the way we do things. About ten years ago, we had a group up from a church that's here in Southern California, a very large group, and we were doing mountain biking at the time. And in that group of mountain bikers, We take the kids, we give them instruction, we check them out. I can tell you something. I thought it was pretty common knowledge that most people knew how to ride bikes. I was wrong. Matter of fact, some people actually shouldn't even get near bikes. They're they're bike challenged. And, And so every once in a while we get groups like that and we had a group and there was kind of a couple of folks in this particular group of high schoolers that it's like, we're really not sure, but, you know, we're going to do it safe. So doing it safe means this at Calvary Chapel Christian Camp. We put an EMT, a leader in the front. We put one in the middle. We put one in the back. And everybody stays in between. And we go off on our little bike rides off into the mountains. If you've ever been to Green Valley Lake, some of you have. Some of you probably haven't. But if you've traveled up that road from the camp to Green Valley Lake, is a climb of about 500 feet in a mile. It's steep. And so on the way up, no problems. We go out to Coyote Flats. We're riding around and having great fun. And then on the way back, 
you have people who, shall we say, are rules challenged. I won't say they're rebellious and, well, carnal and evil, but (laughs) you know your kids. (laughs) On the way down from Green Valley Lake, there at the lake, it begins to descend on the asphalt. And as all of you know, we have those lovely things on the side of the road called cinders, which when there's ice and snow are a good thing on a bicycle, not so good. And the group begins to descend that path, and all of a sudden, our leaders are going, you know, you probably ought to slow down, going a little fast. And we've got one girl, and very specifically, who we're like not sure she really should actually still be on the bike. The option is we call and have a truck come pick her up. "Ah, It'll be okay. We'll just squeeze her in. We'll make sure she's doing okay. So we do that. About 45 miles an hour, we realize this was a mistake. It's about that time, if you know anything about a bicycle, the right is the rear brake and the left is the front brake. So if you're going to do something at 45 miles an hour, like adjust your helmet, you really want to do that with your left hand, not her. Helmet's being adjusted. She gets what we fondly call the death wobble. The death wobble is when your front tire begins to go like this because you are about to die. (laughs) I get the radio call. We need a helicopter. She has crashed because grab the helmet with the right hand and the brake with the left, which means space becomes before your very eyes. Cinders flying everywhere, bicycle, call a helicopter, helicopter lands, she goes to Loma Linda, thank you Jesus, she's completely okay. She's back the same day. She now has a fear of bicycles, but she was back the same day. (laughs) Two days later, lovely Christian lady. Larry H. Parker. Where would we serve process for a lawsuit? This is a Christian family, Christian girl, Christian mom, Christian dad, Christian church, Christian attorney. We're suing you for $1.5 million dollars. Because our daughter got some road rash. Didn't get a call from mom. Nobody called and said, hey, are you planning on picking up the medical bills? We're going to sue you. Come to find out that this was not one. This was not two. This was not three. This was lawsuit number four. And in fact, mom had not worked in 10 years. She was living off of lawsuits. Two of them slip and falls from churches. So I responded, get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) Promptly called our attorney, called our insurance. Never once did I get a phone call. Do you have liability insurance? Are you going to take care of these things? You know, we're two Christians. Can we work this out? My daughter is not severely injured, but we'd like to have something to take care of because we carry a $50 million umbrella policy. 
proceeded with the lawsuit. What ultimately ended up happening was they got exactly $25,000, which was exactly $2,500 short of what the medical bills were, because God has a way of working those things out. My point is this. Christian suing Christian, suing a church, using a Christian supposed attorney to try and get $1.5 million for some road rash. Family of God, it's an abomination to the Lord, and it shames the name of Jesus. God worked it out to where they didn't even get their medical bills because they were being greedy. Here's my point. If she'd have called, we'd have taken care of all the medical bills. We have plenty of insurance. Wouldn't have been a problem. Matter of fact, we would have written a check for all of them. But the first thing they saw was dollar signs. You see, a lot of the church thinks that way. I know people that are living off of income that they got from a fender bender car crash. I got hit from behind. I have whiplash. I'm disabled. Family of God, we need to be really careful that we aren't doing things the world's way. Because I can tell you what happened, because I got all the phone calls. This family sued Caltrans because they gave the senders to the county. They sued the county of San Bernardino. They sued the bicycle manufacturer, the bicycle company that sold us the bicycles. They sued the company that manufactured the brake pads that went on the bikes. Wonderful, wonderful witness that is before the world. Look at what these Christians do. Family of God, the church should not be so happy like the world is. That is what's in view in this passage. You spill coffee in your lap, I better not see your picture in the Mountain News, okay? <laughs> Don't let me see your picture in the Mountain News. I shared with you before, I'll share it again. I was down in Brazil, there's a huge hole in the middle of the walkway, in the middle of a sidewalk, literally. Sidewalk goes to the hole, hole's 20 feet deep, straight down. On the other side, the walkway continues. There's no caution tape, there's no cones, just a hole. I asked the guy standing next to me, he said, don't you guys worry about these kind of things? He says, no, we just consider people stupid that fall in holes. A <laughs> lot of wisdom in that, Okay. Here in America, man, there'd be people suing because they saw the hole and thought it was dangerous. It's like, man, I'm, I'm forever ruined. I can't go down the sidewalk because I saw a deep hole. We need to be careful, family of God, because maybe you get in some financial situation. You see that, that, that money more valuable than the precious lamb of God, the grace of God. We've got to be careful that we don't do things the world's way because it shames the name of our Lord. And he's big enough and he is able. Verse 1, let's look at this passage. How dare any of you having a matter against another? He's talking about brother against brother. He's not talking about you against the world. He's not talking about two unbelievers. He's talking about two Christians suing each other. Go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. 
how dare us be the first thing that we do is that we pull out the Larry H. Parker card. Well, I'll just sue you. You know, after all, your dog was barking last night, so... I mean, I lost my sleep. Rather than go over and talk, I'm suing. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Here's where we begin to see this unfold. Because of who you are in Christ, because you are the redeemed, because you have the Holy Spirit in you, because Christ dwells in you richly in all knowledge, in all forbearance, in all things according to life and godliness, because you have the word of God, which clearly defines these things, because of who you are in Jesus, you don't need to do things the world's way. And so that person sells you, you know, a motorhome and the engine blows up. It shames the name of the Lord if your first words are, I'm going to sue. It's just stuff. It's a motorhome. It's not life and death. and It doesn't make it invaluable. And I'm not trying to say that those things don't matter. But what I am saying is, the courts aren't the only way to handle it. And they shouldn't be the first thing that we do. And let me tell you one that's going to pain a little bit that unfortunately is all too common in our world and in the church. Divorce. How many times? Somebody's mad. They're upset. They've been hurt. Still doesn't free you from this passage. Husband goes after wife. Wife goes after husband. They're going to air their dirty laundry. Family of God, I have had to sit in divorce court multiple occasions and watch two Christians, two people who name the name of Christ, bite and devour one another over stuff. I actually had a judge tell me one time, that is why I don't become a Christian. I was in Superior Court here in San Bernardino County Family Court. That's why. Because it's uglier. Family of God, that's what we need to, to really deal with here. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? And notice he's confining this to things that are, that are discernible. This isn't about your daughter was raped. Make the differentiation here. These are property matters. They're not matters of judgment that, that where the person has been, you know, murdered or, or harmed in some way, shape or form. It's just about stuff. It's about things. It's about property. They're small. They don't matter. Do you not know that we shall judge the angels? He says, look, guys, what Scripture plainly declares is one day you guys are going to rule and reign on this earth with Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible plainly declares. When the second coming happens, you're coming back with them. You are going to rule and reign with Christ. And that same spirit which will be fully in you then is in you now. You have that capacity to hear from the Lord. How much more the things that pertain to this life. If that spirit that's in you now will one day be in fullness when you come with the Lord, don't you think we can kind of figure out whether 
you know, you should reimburse that person for the dent in their car without having to go get an attorney to, to get the process started? And if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? He said, make sure that you're getting the spiritually mature to, to help you with these things. Because in essence, someone with the Spirit of God has a better sense about these things than someone without. But go get those who are most beneficial to the case. And if you look at what's said in Matthew chapter 18, the end of it, and the whole concept there is dealing with the brother who's offended you, hurt you, harmed you, maybe wronged you in some way, shape, or form, the first step is, why don't you go talk to him? Not, why don't you call an attorney? Why don't you actually get on the phone, go over to their house, and say, we need to talk? And the context there at the end of Matthew chapter 18 is this, that you might gain your brother again. You see, restoration has always been first and foremost in the, in the mind of the Lord. Jesus came to this earth to reconcile us back to God. Amen? If he came to reconcile us back to God, how bad do you think it bothers him that we let little things like pieces of junk that are going to die someday get between us and a brother or a sister? God doesn't like it. Because it's not his character. It's not his nature. There are other ways to handle those things. Christian mediation. Talking to a, a pastor. Get a, a friend or two that are neutral, by the way, that you haven't persuaded already with your side of the argument. It's the reason I will always tell you, don't call your mama. Because your mama loves you. And no matter what you do, you're right. You go get somebody who's brave enough to tell you the truth. Amen? Uh, Jeff, you're being a knucklehead. You should just let it go. You don't want to go find people that are just going to take your side. You see how much more of the things that pertain to this life. And if you have those judgments concerning these things pertain to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed? I say this to your shame. He said this shouldn't be happening. This isn't a tough one is another way to look at it. This is not difficult to discern. It's not hard. Your little dent in the quarter panel of your car is not worth $50,000. That is the reason that your insurance rates are so high, by the way. Stuff happens in life. We lose things. Things get damaged. Things get dinged. And it's been my very concerted opinion over a lot of years of living and being in business and you know, handling an awful lot of God's money at times. God has more than enough money and he has more than enough stuff. And he's very capable of replacing things that you've lost if that's what he has for you. We don't need to make it into huge issues. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one, to be able to judge between his brethren? He says, don't just go to the courts. He says, go get some godly counsel. Go talk to somebody who has God's best interest in mind, not just yours, and not just deciphering the facts. This is a great place for us to, to bring into view some Christian mediation. Get somebody who loves the Lord to look at that situation. And go, you know, here's what's fair. 
People drag out the Old Testament and go, oh, you know, your ox gores mine. I'm supposed to be able to kill yours. You are not under the law. You have been set free as the children of God. Praise the Lord. Because you know what? If we were still under the law, every adulterer would be stoned. Every fornicator, stoned. Every idolater, put to death. Thank you, Jesus, that's not the case. So don't bring out the holy baseball bat every time something happens to you. Because if God was going to do that, you'd have a whole bunch of lumps on the back of your head. It's like, wow, that kind of hurt. But brother goes to the law against brother. Notice what it says, and that before unbelievers. There is no guarantee when you pull out the law card and you go down and you see some product liability attorney who is going to sue your best friend because you guys got in business together and all of a sudden you think you had rights to that new gadget. You invented the only straight golf ball on earth and your friend has ripped you off. You know, if the first thing you do is go to court, you're not hearing from the Lord. You need to try and work that out. If you are both believers, you need to go to that person and try and work it out. Don't just go find an attorney. Now, therefore, it's already another failure that you go to the law against one another. Why don't you rather accept wrong? Notice what's said here. And By the way, this is exactly what Jesus said. He strikes you on the one cheek, turn to him the other. He takes your cloak, give him your tunic. And again, it's not saying that we just line up to see how much abuse we can take. That's not what's being said at all. It's being said that in an eternal sense, keep focused on the eternal. What's it going to do to the body of Christ? What's it going to do to kingdom things? Not saying that believers can't use the court system. That's not what it says at all. But it ought to be, as with we just saw, kicking somebody out of the church, it ought to be the last thing we do, and it ought to be very rare. Quite frankly, Christians ought to be at the forefront of tort reform. We should be the ones that are saying, you know what, this is dumb. What are we going to court for over this? I could sit here and just tell you story after story after story of Christians suing each other for a used VCR, of Christians going after each other because of a car that they bought from somebody, of Christians taking each other to small claims court because they didn't think they got paid enough. Story after story after story, and all that happens is the world looks at it and goes, that's why I don't want to be a Christian. They aren't any different. There's no love. We need to be careful that we live our lives according to what Scripture says ought to be true of us. You see, you can get help. You go out and you get somebody who knows the Word of God. You, you call my office and say, hey, I'd like to talk to this person. we got a thing between us, and we come in and we sit down and talk about it. You'd be surprised how many times those things can actually be worked out. But that's harder than going and getting Larry H. Parker. Amen? Because you actually have to confront, guess who? You. It isn't just about you going and sitting down and spilling your guts to somebody. 
It's about you being willing to admit your own fault in the matter, your own part in the matter. You know what I figured out after a lot of years of counseling, a couple of decades of it? There's always two. It takes two to make an argument. It takes two to have a disagreement. There are always two sides to every story. And as a general rule, there is almost never a time when it's solely one person's fault. Almost never. It may be that one person is more guilty, if you will, than the other. Maybe their stuff was bigger stuff. But the fact of the matter is that each one of us as a child of God has some responsibility to try and restore that relationship. That's why when you come to my office for marriage counseling, I'm not going to be go, yeah, divorce the bum. It's not going to happen. I am going to repeatedly talk to you about the goodness of the Lord, his ability to heal that situation, about suffering long and being kind. You're not going to like a lot of the stuff I have to say. Because I'm going to confront the sin, period. And it's just as sinful to be bitter as it is to look at porn. Think about that for a second. As we get to this next passage of Scripture, you're going to find some things you don't like because it's going to put your little list of stuff that you you got in your head that someone does this, they're really bad, but if they do that, they're okay. It's not what Scripture says. And in fact, Scripture is just as direct with the unforgiving person as it is with the person caught in idolatry drunkenness, sexual sin of every flavor. Just as pointed. In light of that, how gracious do you think we should be? Maybe you don't have a problem with one of those big ten. You know, the ten unforgivable ones. But maybe you're hateful. Maybe you're bitter. You see, the person that you have ought with may have a problem that you think supersedes yours, but in the grand scheme of eternity, yours are just as bad as theirs. And you need the grace of God just as much as they need the grace of God. And when you leave it there, it's pretty amazing how flexible you become. Kind of like Gumby's for Jesus. You can be bent and twisted, and all of a sudden you're not quite so rigid anymore. Don't you know someday that Christians are going to judge the world? It's just a plain statement of Scripture. We saw it in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If we endure, we'll reign with him. Revelation chapter 3 declares you will sit with him. It says of the body of Christ, as believers, you're going to, you're going to reign in heaven with him. Revelation chapter 20 says when you come back to spend that thousand years here on the earth, that you're going to reign with the Lord. So in that capacity, I think we can work out the stuff about things. We need to resolve ourselves to it. We need to do our best effort to fix it, not just make it right for ourselves. If we're honest with each other and with ourselves, who do we look out for whenever there's a problem? Duh. Me. I generally look out after my own interests. You realize that Scripture says we should be doing exactly the opposite of that? That we should look after the interests of others actually first? You know, what, what should I be doing? What I should be doing is making sure that I'm right with the Lord. 
And that may mean that I need to give a little. That may mean I might need to give away something that's just the source of this contention, this strife. Passage says we're going to judge angels. We're going to judge the world. We don't need to be looking outside. We need to be looking inside and making sure that we've taken those things to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. And again, what's not being said here is that when the world caves in on you, that you need to cave in. That isn't what's being said. There are times when you have no recourse but to use the world against the world. You're going to be forced into that situation. Be very specific here. This is talking about a brother and a brother, a sister and a sister, a brother against a sister, or likewise, the other. You see, it's saying that we as the body of Christ ought to be able to take care of our own. A vast majority of the time. Some people look at this as the proof text of, of never using the courts. And it just simply, it not only doesn't say that, it doesn't even hint at it. It's being very specific here. It's saying in pragmatic things, things that are easily discernible. When it revolves around your, your property, your stuff. It's not talking if you're child was abused in some way, shape, or form, that you don't call the sheriff. That's not what's being said here at all. Nothing could be further from the truth. You see, what we need to do is look at it from God's perspective all the time. And yes, that will mean at times we just simply turn the other cheek. I mean, is it really worth it to to destroy relationships, to... Make sure that, you know, you get that last nickel that's owed you, that last 50 bucks. Is it really worth it? And here's why I say this. And we've had these things happen. We've had people in this church run into each other on the highway. It's icy and they... We've also almost had church splits over it. Here's why. Because each of you has spheres of influence and friends. And, of course, they think that you are God's gift to humanity. That's why they're your friends. And so you have group one against group two. Oh, yeah, well, I know it was so-and-so, and they crashed in, and, yeah, it was like this and like that. And we're, we're judging, we're, we're airing these things out before the world. And all of a sudden, the world's going, man, they can't get along with each other. Why would I want to be a part of that? You go and get those things reconciled. And if you got to give a little, give a little. Life sometimes deals with things that we really don't want. But when we're obedient, you want to know a little secret? God blesses obedience. And if you got the short straw, just like that family I started with who tried to sue Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa for $1.5 million. Who ended up winning? The ones who handled it godly. And said, you know what? We're not going to fight you in court. We're willing to take care of our obligations. God blesses obedience. And if you do it right, if you need a new whatever, God's more than capable of making sure you get that new whatever. Maybe you didn't need whatever, And that was God's way of culling the herd. 
you've got, you know, like we do. We have too many cars. So, maybe God just wants to eliminate something from your life. He uses that to do it. Paul was dead serious here. And as he says these things, he's just simply reminding us, look, guys, I can handle anything you can bring me. Any issue you have going on in your life, God is more than able. Anything that you deem as impossible, God is actually capable of doing. If we take it to him instead of the world. If we take it to the world, here's what happens. It gets very complex very fast. It begins to be a source that other people would look at what occurs and go, no, I don't want any part of that God. The enemy uses it, in other words. You see, if we just hand it to the Lord in the first place and say, God, I I don't know what to do with this. So I'm going to go find some godly counsel and try and hear from the Lord that way. Just talk to him. Say, look, this is what happened. What do you think? You do what Matthew 18 says. You go and try and be reconciled with that person. Step two is you find some neutral people and you go and talk to that person with that neutral party. There's parties to try and establish all things, it says. Then if they don't hear you, you take it to the leadership of the church. You get some elders and say, hey, can we sit down? We really need to work this thing out. You see, there's already three steps before lawsuit. And then it says, if they still won't hear you, then, and this is where this comes in, you treat them as a heathen or a tax collector. The only recourse you then have is to use the court systems. But you got to do steps one, two, and three before you get to step four. You need to make sure you've done all you can to keep it out of the courts. Doesn't mean you can't use them. Maybe some people won't listen. They won't hear you. Maybe some people are just going to stubbornly continue to rebel against the word of the Lord. You're not going to have any choice. But you will have done all that you need to do to make sure it doesn't reach that place prematurely. Amen? That's Christians in court. Very infrequently. Very sparingly, never the first course of action, never with greed or malice in view, never with profiting in view, never with malintent in view, never with bettering your situation in view, always with grace in view. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your instruction. Pray that you would continue to... Just use your word to to change our way of thinking. And God, I want to pray very specifically. Maybe there's somebody who's just struggling, God, and maybe this this message has touched their heart. I pray that you just grant them great wisdom. Lord, speak your truth into their lives, that they would know how to act in that circumstance or that situation to bring you glory and bring you honor and to bring you praise. And we pray for those that have been hurt, Lord, people who have lost and, and just had, had a tough go of it. And, Lord, we, we know that everything on this earth belongs to you anyway, and you're more than able to replace those lost things. We ask you to do that, Lord. Save your name. Cause, cause your name to be pure and holy. We thank you, Lord, that we have you to go to when we don't know what to do, and that your wisdom is infinite. 
that your long-suffering is never-ending. We pray that you would grant us great and, and awesome favor before this world. Or we pray that the decisions we make would, would just simply be uh, the most pleasing to you. We bless you. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.